0: Welcome to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health, the podcast that shows you how to live a longer and healthier life, showcasing doctors, clinicians, and patient stories. The goal of South Coast Health is to help and inspire you to navigate your health journey with knowledge, comfort, and ease. Hi, everyone. I'm Patricia Raskin. Welcome to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. Today, we're talking with Dr. Suzelle Luke, who graduated with her Bachelor of Science degree in biology from Tufts University in Medford, Massachusetts. Dr. Luke then furthered her medical practice, first earning her Master of Public Health degree and finally her Doctor of Medicine degree from Tufts University. After completing her education through Tufts, Dr. Luke became an intern, resident, and clinical fellow at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. She then completed her residency in the primary care program at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center before completing her second-year rheumatology fellowship at Tufts Medical Center. Dr. Luke is board-certified in rheumatology and internal medicine. Dr. Luke's interests are in rheumatoid arthritis, gout, osteoporosis, and lupus. Her personal philosophy of care is focused on putting the patient first and treating everyone she sees with dignity and respect to provide the most positive outcome. Dr. Luke's interest in biology in high school helped inspire her to become a physician. We're also here today with one of Dr. Luke's patients, Martha Dorney. Welcome, Dr. Luke.
1: Thank you, thank you for having
0: me. And welcome, Martha Dorney.
2: Thank you.
0: All right, I'm gonna start with Dr. Luke. Um, talk about, you know, we hear the word arthritis all the time. It's just a very common word, but what is it really?
1: When we hear the term arthritis, it generally refers to conditions that can affect the joints and surrounding structures. And when we're talking about joints, we're talking about where two bones meet. Arthritis typically can be characterized with swelling, pain, and stiffness affecting different age groups Generally speaking, as we get older, we tend to be prone to certain types of arthritic conditions versus in other groups where different types of inflammatory conditions may ensue.
0: But we hear about arthritis all the time. It seems to be very common. And I hear about it more in people 50 plus. What would you say?
1: The majority of cases, when people think about arthritis, they're thinking about osteoarthritis. A lot of people don't realize that there are more than 100 types of arthritic conditions. For example, Mm -hmm. rheumatoid arthritis can affect all age groups and you don't have to be older than 50. There's a condition known as juvenile rheumatoid arthritis which affects those who are much younger. Gout, for example, is another type of inflammatory arthritis. It can affect those who are younger than 50. Lupus is a type of autoimmune condition in which one can see arthritis. And typically those patients are much younger than 50. But classically, when patients think about arthritis, they're referring to osteoarthritis. And yes, it tends to be seen with those who are older, um, typically can be seen more with women than with men. But arthritis can affect different age groups depending on the type of arthritis which is presenting.
0: When we're talking about osteoarthritis, is that the inflammation, meaning that between the two joints, the cartilage is waning or getting less?
1: Typically, when we're referring to osteoarthritis in the traditional sense, it's deemed to be non-inflammatory. There is a subset which can be inflammatory, but for the most part, it's deemed to be non-inflammatory. There's becoming more of an acceptance that the changes that take place in the joints are not entirely without some degree of inflammation, but the inflammation that we see in other types of conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, supersede what we typically see with osteoarthritis. Osteoarthritis Mm -hmm. is typically in the weight-bearing joints, like the hips and the knees, whereas rheumatoid and other inflammatory arthritis can have a different type of joint pattern.
0: What causes them? Do different things cause the different types of arthritis?
1: We don't know exactly what causes the different types of arthritis, but certain types of arthritis, such as osteoarthritis, you can see in patients who may have occupations where they have weight bearing activities, patients who might work in construction, patients who might work in tasks where they have to stand all day. So patients might come in complaining about low back pain and they may have arthritis in the back, hip pain and they have hip osteoarthritis or knee pain and they have knee osteoarthritis.
0: What's the difference then between the rheumatoid arthritis and the osteoarthritis?
1: Classically, the difference is the pattern of the joint involvement. So when I see a patient, the first element of my interpretation of their case is what is the pattern of their disease. Typically, rheumatoid arthritis is symmetrical. It has a predilection for the small joints of the hands and wrists and also the feet and ankles osteoarthritis takes on a different pattern. It's not traditionally inflammatory. It tends to affect the larger weight-bearing joints, but you can also have involvement of your hands and your feet. You'll have bony enlargement involving those joints. Some patients will classically refer to knobby appearance of their hands, and that tends to be the bony enlargement that we're seeing associated with osteoarthritis.
0: Martha, tell us how you came to see Dr. Suzelle Luke, why you came to see her, and what your condition has been.
2: Going back, maybe Dr. Luke has a better recollection, maybe eight to ten years, I experienced what I typified as severe pain in my hands. I felt like my hands were stiff and not cooperating. I thought, what is going on? I had never had pain like that before. And I ended up going to my primary care physician and the nurse practitioner in his practice. She um, submitted a series of blood labs, including a Lyme tick panel, but just anything that may pertain to what I was experiencing. And at the time, She suggested that I see a rheumatologist. And Dr. Luke, correct me if I'm wrong, at that juncture, there was no one particular test that could be given to let medical folks know what was going on. So there was an almost like a puzzle of labs coming together. So at that point, the suggestion was a rheumatologist and Dr. Luke's name was at the top of the list. So I was able to get an appointment with Dr. Luke, and we went from there, actually. She also
1: did a number of lab tests.
0: So Dr. Luke, explain kind of how you worked with Martha.
1: Well, when Martha first presented, the key in her history was listening to the details understanding what came first, and then in what pattern the joint disease developed. So hands were affected, if I recall correctly, she had involvement of her knees and feet. Listening to her day to day, she has these lovely dogs. (laughs) (laughs) And her shoulders were affected in terms of when she was walking the dogs, they'd often pull on her shoulders. The examination also shed light on her diagnosis. Oftentimes, patients live with pain. It's a day-to-day occurrence. And when you examine the patients and you show them the degree of inflammation and swelling and explain to them that it's not normal, that's when they gain an appreciation of their disease. And that was what we've always done in our exams, is going through and assessing for inflammation. And she had those findings on exam. Then it was the blood work, but also the imaging. Her imaging showed patterns seen with those who have rheumatoid arthritis. Um, looking for signs of erosions, erosions can ensue when one has inflammation, which has worn away at the joint. So she had all of those findings and all together, the history, the exam, the imaging, the labs, all of that together was what allowed us to form the diagnosis. They often say rheumatologists, we're we're detectives. We're the last ones to come in and we have to put everything together to say, this is what it is.
0: Yeah. What I find interesting is something you said, Dr. Luke, about how people learn to live with pain. So they don't even realize when they come in, they they begin to think it's normal. And what you're saying is it isn't. And it's interesting why we tolerate it for so long. Any comment about that? Why people don't come in sooner, I guess, is my question.
1: I think one reason, a lot of patients tend to be very stoic, when we start to admit that maybe our health wasn't what it was when we were younger, it admits some level of vulnerability that perhaps we are aging. A lot of patients will say, as long as I'm able to do what I normally can do and I've modified it a bit, I'm, I'm okay. But when it gets to the point that it's intolerable, that maybe you know a child is getting married and you're scared you're not going to be able to dance with them at their wedding, you have an anniversary trip that is planned and you won't be able to enjoy walking through Europe with your partner. That's when patients say, you know, some I need to do something. I need to I need to be seen.
0: Interesting. Martha, since you've been working with Dr. Luke and since you've been having treatment, what is your life like, like now?
2: Well, I think um Dr. Luke and I have been on a journey. There have been a number of medications that I always use the terminology, we have tried. And I would say, based on the treatment in the drugs, if you will, that it goes hand-in-hand hand with kind of daily life skills, meaning I remember one of the first questions Dr. Luke asked me would be, when you get up in the morning, how long does it take you to function? And I had to think about that because – in fact, you were just saying people get used to what they're used to. And I started by saying it probably takes me a half an hour, where prior to the onset of this, it was immediate. You, you jump out of bed, you get going, et cetera. And as time has gone on, that has not necessarily been the case.
0: Mm-hmm. But now... Is it much better?
2: Well, I think it's been a bit of a roller coaster. There are, I would say, it's hard to describe, yes and no. Yes, that the flare-ups, that when there's extreme pain, those have been managed. However, there's always kind of the subset of pain that we're looking at on a regular basis. And so, for example, I'll use prednisone. I've been on prednisone for a number of years. Currently, I'm taking 9 milligrams. Now, that's down from a high. And Dr. Luke continues to say, we've got to get you off that prednisone because it causes so many other problems. And yet, for me, it's like a miracle drug. If I take prednisone, I feel Mm -hmm. better immediately, depending upon what's going on. So I would say, yes, I feel better. It's managed. However, it's still a daily issue about um, how I'm going to function. Mm
0: -hmm. Dr. Luke, are there things that people can do for prevention or management that are non-medication? And I'm thinking of certain foods, maybe anti-inflammatory foods, um, different herbs, or any
1: more holistic methods? I definitely encourage patients to use the medications as a foundation. However, the foundation means nothing if you are eating processed foods, if you're eating foods that are rich in refined sugars, if you are not incorporating foods that are rich in antioxidants, A lot of my patients who've done the best, they have made lifestyle changes where they're not eating as much red meat. They're not eating fast food. They're incorporating turmeric. They're incorporating kale. They're incorporating raw honey, cloves into their diet. And that's making a world of difference for them. I often encourage my patients to look towards probiotics the microbiome is key in a lot of our diseases, and when that micro natural microbiome that we have in our body is altered, that's what really contributes to inflammation and disease. The probiotics help to eliminate the bad flora, eliminate the bad bacteria in our gut, and allow for the natural flora to propagate, and that can help to decrease cortisol levels and overall decrease inflammation. And this is not unique to the field of rheumatology. We're seeing it across the board for a lot of autoimmune diseases. And one would actually argue that a lot of diseases are autoimmune in nature, whether it's cancer, heart disease, diabetes, it all stems from dysregulation of the immune system. And we need to get the immune system back in balance. And it oftentimes starts with looking at our diet.
0: Martha, have you changed your diet at all?
1: Um, As far as...
2: Any changes I've made, and I do keep up with the articles, I'm not a fan of kale, so that is not in my diet, but I do try to have non-processed foods. For example, having a salad that does not have you know processed ingredients in it, that kind of thing. And her advice right from the get-go was to, in, in a market, is to stay on the perimeter of the market. Do not go deep into the aisles because if you look at the expiration dates, it could be like five years out. You don't want to be eating that type of um, product. So, yes, um, I have tried to monitor, as Dr. Luke mentioned, in terms of sugars. And I think the last time I was there, because I am a salt person, She wanted me to stay away from salt. So, yes, I think that I try to be on the lookout for what I need to be eating on a regular basis.
0: Dr. Luke, I want to talk about specific foods. Um, When we talk about inflammatory foods, like dairy products, for example, um, gluten, and there's a controversy about gluten. You talked about red meat. What is it that makes these foods problematic for the bones and joints?
1: The problem with a lot of these foods, if you read the nutrition labels or even the labels that are on the front, it's amazing to see how far our food had to travel to get to our dinner plate. Even if you look at a package of red meat, ground beef for example, I think I saw a package that said, product of Australia processed in the United States. It, It blows your mind to see how far the food is traveling and it's fresh. So if the food is fresh, what allows it to be fresh? Preservatives. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, some of the food that we were talking about um, that expire later on, they have, when you read the ingredients, some of the ingredients I can't even pronounce. Some of the ingredients Mm -hmm. overlap with some of the things that we use even to, um, for our lawns, such as Roundup, Roundup weed killer. Um, They use chemicals that are desiccants, um for oatmeal and you'll find that in roundup weed killer so i always tell my patients you know if you can grab that package read the label and understand every ingredient in that label you need it and then they catch on to what i'm saying so it's the preservatives Mm -hmm. it's the processing it's the fact that our food is traveling so far to get to Mm -hmm. our dinner plate and a lot of these you have to also understand how did your animal live A lot of these animals, their life expectancy is so short, but yet their soft tissue is ready to be consumed by us. Have you seen chicken breast in the market, how large it is? How much hormones went into that animal and then we're consuming the hormones? So I think it's all of the mass manufacturing of food, which is hurting us. And that's the result of all the chemicals that they're putting in the foods.
0: So would you suggest going to a farmer's market? Or buying organic food.
1: I often encourage my patients who live in this area. We have a lot of local farmers. We have great farmers' markets. We have, if you if you're one who does not want to give up meat, well, we have local um, farmers here for cattle. We have I've had patients bring me chicken eggs. I tell them that's in exchange for your copay today. So we have <laughs> people. <laughs> It's to our farmers, and the food doesn't have to travel far, and the food is fresh. And that eliminates that element of um, preservatives, Mm -hmm. that element of hormones, and you're supporting your local area. You're supporting your local businesses, too. Dan, from Mattapoisette, Mass., was playing paddle tennis when it happened without warning. By the second set, I couldn't play anymore. You know, just started feeling tightness and couldn't shake it and it wouldn't go away. Dan was having a heart attack. Luckily, he had the region's most advanced cardiovascular facility close to home and was taken by EMS to the Heart and Vascular Center at Charlton Memorial and Fall River. thing I remember going into the operating room, the doctors and nurses were phenomenal. They walked you through it every step of the way. With 20 years experience, South Coast Health's Heart and Vascular Center of Fall River treats over 2,000 patients a year at one of the most active cath labs of any community hospital in Mass and Rhode Island. To find out more, visit southcoast.org slash heart. When you have a heart attack and you need open heart surgery, you want the best care. We have such a great hospital system right here in our backyard. It saved my life. South Coast Health, more than medicine.
0: So what would you say, um, I guess the question is, can arthritis be reversed?
1: Unfortunately... Arthritis cannot be reversed. Depending on the type of arthritis, there are treatments which can halt the progression. If it's inflammatory arthritis, such as rheumatoid arthritis, there are medications out there that can help to halt the progression of disease by controlling inflammation. Rheumatoid arthritis, I often tell patients, is actually a misnomer. This is a condition which causes systemic inflammation, which can affect the heart resulting in heart attacks, affects the Mm. blood vessels, resulting in blood clots. It can also lead to cancer. So when a patient is diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, for me, the clock starts that I need to get the inflammation under control as soon as possible, because it can lead to systemic disorders. So with Mm -hmm. inflammatory arthritis, such as rheumatoid arthritis, you can Mm -hmm. halt the progression of disease. Unfortunately, there's already damage to the joints that cannot be reversed. Osteoarthritis refers to the wear and tear arthritis, the aging of the skeleton, that too cannot be reversed. But what can be done, lifestyle. So if you have arthritis affecting your hips, if you have arthritis affecting your knees, if you're not at the point that you need surgery, and you can still function. Keep walking. Keep riding your bike. Keep doing exercises to strengthen your lower back, strengthen the hip flexors, strengthen your quadriceps. Because without the muscles, your joints, regardless of whether or not you do or don't have arthritis, your joints will become weak. And remember, at the beginning, I described arthritis as characterized by pain and stiffness. But if the surrounding structures are stronger, you can overcome a lot of the pain and stiffness and maintain mobility of your range of motion.
0: What are some treatment options or conservative treatment options or surgical treatment options for arthritis?
1: So classically, we will recommend, if there aren't any contraindications, NSAIDs. So NSAIDs stand for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Some of the more common ones that are over-the-counter include ibuprofen, or Motrin, Aleve, Naprosyn. There are NSAIDs that we prescribe. I would not advise taking NSAIDs long-term without consulting your doctor because these medications do have side effects. They can elevate your blood pressure. They can lead to anemia. They can hurt your kidneys and sometimes lead to ulcers and gastritis or inflammation of the lining of your stomach.
0: So Let me ask you, even though these are not prescription drugs, they can still cause harm. I think people don't realize that. They go to the pharmacy and if they can buy it over the counter, they think they can take it as long as they want.
1: I often tell patients that I tell them just because it's accessible doesn't mean necessarily it's safe. And there is often that warning, you know, if you're taking this from more for 7 to 14 days, please speak to your doctor. But the accessibility does not um, mean that there's a safety um, these medications. Another medication that we often recommend is acetaminophen or Tylenol. Again, as long as there aren't any contraindications. Typically, I'm very conservative in the dosing, no more than 2,000 milligrams or two grams per day. Tylenol, if you take it every day, you can oftentimes stay ahead of your pain. Besides medications for osteoarthritis, Mm -hmm. we oftentimes recommend physical therapy. Some patients don't want to take medications. So physical therapy to help strengthen the joints, Mm -hmm. that absolutely helps. The key to physical therapy is to maintain the exercises at home. If you have arthritis that has been developing for years, six weeks of physical therapy is not enough unless you sustain those exercises at home. Oftentimes patients who have arthritis, they're still working Mm -hmm. and I encourage them to wear braces or wear supports when appropriate and where it's not going to cause them any harm. So if they're doing a lot of heavy lifting, they should definitely have a back brace on. If they're doing a lot of kneeling, definitely have um, some type of knee support or knee brace on and then also making sure that their environment is ergodynamically designed so that they're not causing repetitive injury to their joints. And lastly, I recommend that all patients, whether they're working, exercising, they need to wear proper footwear. Proper footwear, which can provide support in the ankles and feet, only then benefits the knees, the hips, the lower back, and so forth.
0: Very good advice. Now, if the pain extends beyond this, When do you suggest people consider surgery or replacement of a joint?
1: Oftentimes, I will refer a patient to an orthopedist if I hear certain red flags. If the pain has increased to a new level that's intolerable, if they have difficulty with ambulation where their knee is buckling, if they feel unstable, if they've had falls... If they're now reliant upon the assistance of a cane or walker, whereas before they may not have been, that will prompt me to refer them to orthopedics Mm -hmm. for consultation, for them to determine whether or not a joint replacement is needed.
0: Thank you. Before we close, I I want to ask Martha, your closing thoughts, what would you say to people who are starting to feel like they might have rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis, um, what would you say to someone who came to you and said, you know, Martha, I'm I'm really in pain? What would your advice be?
2: Well, based on my own experience, I would say um, starting prop, most likely with your PCP, then going for a suggestion or two from that individual, if you have a lot of trust in that person, to seek out a a rheumatologist. And from there, I think, as Dr. Luke described, putting the puzzle together of how the patient presents. And I think one of the things that I have valued with Dr. Luke in going into, for example, an exam, that even though she'll examine my joints and everything and say, oh, you know, they're cool. And seemingly all is okay. And then I'll say to her, but I'm not okay. I said, I have flare ups, I have this, I have that. And she will listen to that and then kind of figure out, all right, what's the next step? And I think that to me is really important. So if plan A is this and it's not working, then we're going to go to plan B and then plan C. There's always a plan that we're going to go and try. Mm -hmm. So my understanding would be if somebody is thinking around rheumatoid arthritis, I would get all the background information from a specialist and go from there.
0: I'm also hearing from you that the partnership with the doctor is so important Mm -hmm. because you described it as a journey, that you're working together on this and you're figuring it out together.
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: Thank you. Dr. Luke, what would be your closing thoughts for people who, you know, are are very active and they may be overusing their joints, which many of us do, you know, as we get older and maybe we aren't, um, our joints don't move quite as fast or as easily as they did. What would your advice be in terms of prevention and not just starting when we're 50 or 60, but even starting younger?
1: I would definitely encourage patients to continue their physical activity, but be mindful of the fact that you're not 20, you're not 30. So a lot of the things that you may have been able to do before, you may not be able to do, but don't let that discourage you. Mm -hmm. You can modify what you do and still enjoy Mm -hmm. your hobbies. So if you're one who likes to go bike riding, You could still go bike riding, but maybe you can't go as far as you used to. If you enjoy going for walks, I would strongly encourage that you wear proper footwear. I often tell patients if a shoe can be folded in half, that's not the shoe for you. You want something that gives you support along your ankles, along the base of your toes, and actually try the sneaker out if you're in the store to see, again, does it fit your lifestyle? I would also encourage patients to look for new activities. Maybe you you can't go running like you used to. Maybe you can't run that marathon, but you might be an avid swimmer. And oftentimes there are other ways to keep your joints limber and strong and the surrounding muscles nice and strong. So I would encourage continued physical activity, be open to modification in physical activity, but never feel that you can't keep living. If you are in a place where you feel that your arthritis is impacting your quality of life, reach out to your primary care, reach out to your rheumatologist. Because we want you to keep living with your arthritis and maintaining your quality of life.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. And also you discuss all this in the consultation, right? When you're there at the first time with the patient, you find out about their lifestyle and what they're doing. So that that's another thing as well. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Dr. Luke, Martha Dorney. And it's been a pleasure to interview Suzelle Luke today, MD. And she is a rheumatologist at South Coast Health.
1: Thank you so much.
0: And we have with her the patient, Martha Dorney. Thank you. I'm Patricia Raskin. Thanks so much for tuning in today.
1: Thank you for listening to Healthy Aging with South Coast Health. To subscribe to this podcast, visit www.southcoast.org forward slash healthy dash aging
0: while you are there, we want to hear from you. Please take the time to complete a quick survey so we
1: can learn more about the topics for upcoming episodes that you are most interested in to live a healthy lifestyle. Thank you to our hosts, Patricia Raskin and South Coast Health. This podcast is brought to you by creative content developer Raskin Resources Productions and produced by Virtually You.